It was the highest grossing movie of the decade at $435 million, which was $125 million more than the second place movie for the decade. It was the highest grossing movie in history up until that point, Steven Spielberg's E.T., and it remained the highest grossing movie until 1993 when Jurassic Park broke its record, also by Steven Spielberg. It was good to be Steven Spielberg, I think. Yeah. Um, Spielberg was coming off the success of Close Encounters in the late 70s, and there was pressure on him to write a sequel to Close Encounters, and he really didn't want to write a sequel. But he had two thoughts uh, for movies kind of running through his mind in the early 80s. One was a sort of an autobiographical story of his own upbringing and going through the divorce of his parents and kind of the loneliness and the alienation that kids feel, feel uh, as they walk through that. And so he, he thought, I'm going to kind of tell my story in a fictional way. And then he had this other idea, thinking back to Close Encounters, uh, he had just this thought of what would happen if one of the aliens didn't make it back on the spaceship before they took off. And so in the early 80s, he combined those two ideas and he created a family, three siblings and a mom who were dealing with the divorce of the parents, uh, along with an alien who didn't quite make it back onto the spaceship. And it was movie magic, right? I mean, if you go back and watch it now, I encourage you to go back and watch it now. And uh, the special effects uh, are rather pathetic, right? You look at it now and it, it, compared to what we see in 2018, it, it looks really plain and really kind of pathetic. But the story, was, the story was so heartwarming. There was a private screening for President Reagan in the 80s and uh, uh, First Lady Nancy Reagan. Uh, there was a private screening for Princess Diana and Prince Charles. After the screening for uh, Diana and Charles, Spielberg and his guests were ushered backstage quickly and without any explanation after the movie and had to wait because apparently Princess Diana cried so much at the end of the movie they had to redo her makeup before she would go meet Spielberg uh, and his group of, his group of friends. It's, it's just your, your average story of a boy who meets an extraterrestrial. We've all been there, right? That's, that's the story of all of our lives. Meets a being that is not like him. Something that is other than him. Now, that is the story of our lives. Because we meet, we associate with, we work with, we go to school with people who are different from us. And that difference, uh, that difference may be racially, that uh, difference may be ethnically, it may be culturally, uh, it may be spiritually. If you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, like if you've committed your life to Christ, if, if you're a person of faith, then, then you interact with, I mean, you're around people who don't believe what you believe. They don't see the world the way you see the world. They, they don't approach decisions the way you approach decisions. So... You know, kind of the principle, kind of the big story of the movie E.T. is how do you respond when you meet somebody that's not like you? Now, please hear me. I, I'm not saying that everybody who sees the world differently from me is from outer space. Right? I'm not saying they're a weird little creature. It's just a metaphor. A movie's just a metaphor. Uh, 
but you and I live with, interact with people who are different from us. And, and what do we do with that? Like, how, do we, how, how do we have conversations? How, how do we build a bridge? How do we connect? Sometimes we forget when we think about the Bible, we think about Christianity, Jesus, living 2,000 years after these events happened. We forget that the New Testament was written to believers who were living in a culture that was very different from everything they believed. Uh, the government did not support uh, Christianity in the first century. Uh, the culture, the dominant culture, did not view life the way the followers of Jesus viewed life. Uh, the moral ethics of the first century, they were anti-Christian. Sexual ethics of the first century were very different from the morals and ethics that people who follow Jesus are trying to live out in their lives. Sometimes we think, well, we've got it really bad. Well, in the first century, the Christians were the minority. They definitely were the minority. There were definitely people who were opposed to what they thought and believed. And, and into that culture, to believers during that time, Paul made an interesting statement in Colossians chapter 4. Paul wrote, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, if you're in the minority, like if, if, if you're if you view life differently from everybody else, how do you relate to somebody who doesn't see the world the way you see it? And Paul says, well, be wise. Be wise and take advantage of those opportunities. And don't run from that. Don't run from people who disagree with you. You're going to be running your whole life. Be wise. To take advantage of the opportunity literally means to ransom or to redeem. See that as valuable. When somebody who has a different background than you wants to talk, see that as a valuable moment for you to learn something. See that as a valuable moment for you to understand that, you know what, not everybody sees everything the way I do. Paul makes a bit of an assumption uh, when he writes these words. He assumes that there's going to be those opportunities. And I think he's right in assuming those. I mean, unless you lock yourself in your house, unless you live in a closet and never go outside, you're going to meet people who see the world differently from the way you do. You're going to meet people who have different experiences than the experiences that you have. You're going you're you're to meet people who come from different ethnic and cultural backgrounds, and they're going to bring different ideas to the table. And Paul would say to you, boy, that's a great opportunity to learn something. That's a great opportunity to connect with somebody that's not like you. Maybe you should listen to them. Maybe you should actually pursue a relationship with them because you're going to have that opportunity. If you think about it, if they're different from you, you're different from them. So it's kind of hard to say who the outsider is. I mean, we're all outsiders to somebody. We're all different than somebody. We all have different views than some group. We're all kind of outsiders. And so if we viewed the world not so much as us and them, but we're just people. We're just, we're just people that could learn from each other. 
that, that could add value to each other's experience. We tend to be, as a society, fairly tribal these days. And, and I don't know if it's better or worse. I mean, this is the only time period I've ever lived in. I just know now. And we tend to be really tribal. We tend to look for people who are like us. Look for people who look like us, think like us, talk like us, have our experiences, have our views, and we tend to connect to those people. Because those people reinforce that we're right. They reinforce that the way I view things is right, the way I vote is right, the way I view social issues is right, the way I view political issues is right, the way I view religious issues is right. So we tend to look for people like us to connect to. And Paul says, you know what's really more valuable? Is if you take advantage of the relationship you could have with people who don't see the world the way you do. If you take advantage of the opportunity to build a relationship with somebody who has a completely different background from you and sees things completely different from you. Make the most of those opportunities. We tend to be tribal. I, I, I know what people mean. I think I know what they mean. But I've always been bothered by the my tribe idea, like the hashtag my tribe. You see a group of people taking a picture, a selfie, and hashtag my tribe. And, and I think I know what they're saying. I think they're saying, like, these are people I'm really close to. Um, and we're all close to some people, not as close to other people. We, we build relationships easily with some people and not with others. Uh, we share parts of our life with some people that we don't share with us. I mean, I get it. We're not best friends with everybody. But if you have a tribe, that means there are people that aren't in your tribe. Like whenever I see your tribe, I realize obviously I'm not in your tribe. Like I'm not a part of whatever your tribe is. There's, there's a distance that goes with having a tribe, being tribal. And probably the church is one of the worst places for this. And the church tends to be tribal. The, the, the church tends to be well, it's us against the world, and we've got to circle the wagons, and we've we got to just huddle up in here, and we've we got to find people that believe what we believe and like what we like, and we've got to all stick together through this. The church, if, if we're not careful, can be very us versus them, can be very much tribal, can be very much, well, we're right and, and they're wrong. And, and Paul writes to the church and says, um, look, take advantage of the chance to hear how somebody else views the world. Take advantage of the chance to get to know somebody who has a completely different experience than you have. At the beginning of the movie, E.T. comes, he gets left, and then uh, Elliot goes out to get pizza uh, delivery. God delivers pizza, and Elliot hears a noise in the backyard and thinks something is in the shed, and this is how he responds.
when I was watching, I don't know why he took his ball and glove to go get the pizza, but uh, he did nonetheless, and, and something's in the shed. And so his point of contact is, I'm going to toss a softball in there and see what happens. And sure enough, the ball comes back and scares him to death, and he steps on the pizza and runs away. But his initial attempt at connection was, let me see what happens. So here's my question. My question for us to think about is, who are you tossing the ball to? Who's in your life that maybe is different from you, maybe different background, racially, ethnically, culturally, religious, politically, like they're other than you, they have a different view than you, but you would just see what happens? I mean, that's basically what Elliot does. He just tosses a ball to see what would happen, and it came back. And you and I might find that. We might find that people are actually okay with conversations. People are actually okay if we just start a conversation and see where it goes. Now, we shouldn't bean them in the head with the ball, right? Because that's sometimes our approach. We think we're right. Like, let's throw as hard as we can. Let's make them see that we're right. Now, just open the door. What if we just had a conversation, how you see life, how I see life? Elliot's next encounter with E.T. takes a little bit more than, than tossing a ball. Watch this. always a cornfield. What is it about scary movies and cornfields? It's always got to be in the cornfield. So he's tossed the ball. It wasn't enough. And so he, he pursues. He takes steps towards E.T. He, he steps into the cornfield, right? Here's my question. It's a weird question. Who are you going into the cornfield for? Okay. Weird Sunday morning question. I get it. But in light of the movie, like, who are you going into the cornfield? Who are you pursuing in relationship that's not like you? Now you look in the mirror and they don't look exactly the way you look. Maybe they didn't vote the way you voted. Maybe their background's completely different from yours. Paul says, hey, take advantage of that. Like step into somebody's life. Like move towards somebody that's not exactly like you. That's not a mirror image of you. Now, hopefully the reaction is not going to be that reaction. Hopefully you're going to get a better reaction. But you and I are, are called to step into the lives of other people, to reach towards other people. 
Jesus did this his whole life. We, we talked a couple of weeks ago about his interaction with Zacchaeus as a tax collector. Everybody hated tax collectors. He climbed up in the tree, and Jesus steps into his cornfield, if I could use that phrase, right? Jesus says, I'm going to your house. We're going to hang out. I want to talk to you. I want to spend time at your house. And everybody hated it. Everybody standing around the scene said, Jesus, how could you hang out with that guy? How could you talk to that guy? How could you step into that guy's cornfield, right? How could you be a part of that guy's life? And so at the end of that whole story, Jesus clarifies and says, look, I, I, I didn't come to seek people who had it all together. Like the Son of Man came to seek and to save people who were lost. They were outside of the family. I didn't come just to hang out with religious people. I didn't come just to hang out with people who had it all together. I, I came to find people who were outside of the family and bring them into the family. Earlier in Jesus' life, he calls another tax collector, a guy by the name of Matthew, to be one of his disciples. Again, everybody hated it. Everybody's asking, why did you pick that person? And Jesus clarifies at the end of that story. He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous. I've come for sinners. I've come for just real people who need healing and hope in their life, and they may not all look like you, and that's okay. That was okay with Jesus. They, they didn't all have to look the same. They didn't all have to have the same background. Jesus came to step across borders and boundaries and into the lives of people. And he did this his whole ministry for tax collectors and prostitutes, people who were sick, people who were disabled, Children and women who were not valued in their society, and Jesus elevates both of them, right? At one point, the disciples are dismissing all the kids, and Jesus said, no, this is what the kingdom's about. And the kingdom is about this, these kids. Because Jesus was always choosing the people that nobody thought he should or would choose. Who are we doing that for? Okay. How often in our life are we stepping outside of the known, of the agreed upon, of the people who just simply reflect the way I think? Tossing a ball, stepping in a cornfield, moving towards somebody. Now Paul clarifies how we can be wise in these opportunities. He writes, let your conversation... Be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let, when you meet these people, when you move towards this person that's not like you, then, then be gracious. Like God's not calling you to straighten them out. You're not supposed to step into their lives and tell them how wrong they are about everything. Like let your conversation be full of grace, and he uses this line, seasoned with salt, um, which in this incident just means just be interesting. Like be an interesting person. Don't be boring. Be engaging. Be winsome. Be somebody. Have a conversation that somebody would want to join in. Like people would be drawn to you. You would be, you would be normal. That's interesting. And like it's, as followers of Jesus... You can be normal. Like you can have normal conversations with people. 
You, you can be interested in somebody else in, in a normal way. We, we don't have to be weird all the time. I know some of us can't help it, but we don't have to be weird all the time. Be winsome. Be engaging. Let, let your conversation be normal. Just be real. Just be you. Don't feel like when you're talking to somebody who's not like you that you have to become something else or you have to be on guard or you have to be defensive or you have to be ready to straighten them out on what you believe and, and how you see things. Just, just, be normal. just be a person. Just be a human that cares about another human because Jesus cares about you. And sometimes being winsome, sometimes being engaging is just sharing your life. Just honestly saying, hey, this is who I am. And there's a moment in the movie where Elliot is, is he's gotten the E.T. inside and in the closet. And, and, and then he's trying to help E.T. acclimate to what life is like. And so here's some of the things he says. Coke. See, we drink it. It's a, it's a drink, you know. Food. These are toys. These are little men. This is Greedo. And then this is Hammerhead. See, this is Walrus Man. And then this is Snaggletooth. And this is Lando Calrissian. See? And this is Boba Fett. And look, they can even have wars. Look at this. <laughs> Look, fish. The fish eat the fish food, and the shark eats the fish. But nobody eats a shark. See, this is Pez, candy. See, you eat it. You put the candy in here, and then when you lift up the head, the candy comes out, and you can eat it. You want some? Peanut. You eat it, but you can't eat this one because this is fake. This is money. You see? We put the money in the peanut. You see? Fake. See? And then. Maybe speaking with grace and, and seasoned with salt is just saying, hey, this is my life. You know, this is who I am. Who are you? Tell me about your life. Tell me, tell me about your family. Tell me about your background. Reaching towards somebody that's not like me. We, we are a divided country. We live in a divided time. We have some dark history in our country's past when it comes to division and racism and prejudice. And we, we, we have a lot of separation. And, and we... We're the example of Jesus. We are to be the expression of God in the world that tears down division, that tears down separation in the name of Jesus. That, yeah, we got some things to overcome. Yeah, I need to understand you better. Yeah, I need to understand life for you. Here's life for me. We need to understand each other so that some things can get healed and get repaired. And we could get to a better place. And 2,000 years ago, 
Paul said, you know, that starts with you taking advantage of those opportunities and not just looking for people who look like you, but look for people who maybe are different from you and just have a normal, heartfelt, gracious conversations with them. And if you do that, Paul suggests, like if you'll have normal conversations, if you'll have gracious conversations, if you'll care about other people, if you'll love other people, You'll figure out what answers you need to give people as you go along. His comment is, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. You'll figure out how to have those conversations if you just start having conversations. If you just genuinely love people and and, and genuinely prioritize time with people who aren't like you, yeah, there's maybe some big conversations that are going to come up, and that'll be okay, because you'll have the relational content, you'll have the relational leverage to have those hard conversations. You'll know where to go, but just talk, just be normal, just be a friend, just love, just step over the divide and start having these conversations. Towards the end of the movie... The government and, and NASA find out that E.T.'s in Elliot's house. And they come and, and they're wanting to take over and they set up this lab uh, to, study El, uh, to study E.T. And, and everything that's been going on with him. And, and E.T. and Elliot have sort of connected physically and, and mentally and emotionally. So E.T.'s getting sicker, and so Elliot's getting sicker. Um, and spoiler alert, E.T.'s going to die, okay? So if it took you 35 years to see this movie, I just ruined it for you. But E.T.'s going to die, and, and there's this moment where they separate, and, and E.T. starts dying, and Elliot starts getting better. But there's, this, there's a government agent there that's, sort of gotten on Elliot's side. He, he was there the night the spaceship landed and took off, so he knows weird things have been going on. They finally figure out he's in this house, and then this agent becomes sympathetic towards E.T. And, and Elliot. And here's the conversation that he has with Elliot as E.T. is dying. Elliot, I don't think that he was left here intentionally. But his being here is a miracle, Elliot. It's a miracle. And you did the best that anybody could do. I'm glad he met you first. I remembered a lot of the scenes of the movie, and I remembered a lot of the lines. I did not remember that line. I'm glad he met you first. And what he meant was, anybody could have found E.T. Anybody could have been his first encounter with a human. And it could have been somebody who killed him. It could have been somebody who captured him. It could have been somebody who sold him into slavery. It could have been somebody who tortured him. His initial encounter with another human could have been really bad. But Elliot, I'm glad his first encounter was with you. I'm, I'm glad he met you First, because you loved him and you cared for him and you brought him into your life. It's Sunday morning, it's us, so I can talk about us. 
There's a lot of different expressions of Christianity in the world today. <laughs> There's a lot of people who, if you ask them, they'll say, yeah, I'm a Christian. There's a lot of people with a fish sticker on the back of their car or a bumper sticker or wear a T-shirt or, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. But if I'm being honest, I sure hope nobody meets them, right? And pastor probably shouldn't say that. That's probably the wrong thing to say. But, I mean, it, there are some people whose expression of their Christianity I hope no lost people, I hope that's not any lost person's first impression of Christianity. I hope the people they meet first, the first expression of what Jesus is like, the first expression of how Jesus changes our heart, I hope it's somebody with love and grace and gracious conversation and who will step into their life and will care about them. I don't know what happens when we get to heaven. I mean, it's, it's a mystery in a lot of ways. I don't know if this is going to happen in heaven. Maybe this is entirely, entirely correct, but what if you get to heaven and you and God are talking and you're talking about your life and how your life went and the people that you knew? Wouldn't you want God to say, you know this one person that was in your office? You know this neighbor that you had? You know this person in your family or this friend that you grew up with? I'm glad they met you first when they were trying to figure out Jesus and Christianity. I'm glad they met you first. I'm glad you were their first impression of what it means to follow Jesus. I mean, that's who we're called to be. We're called to reflect the person of Jesus. We're not called to get people to vote a certain way. We're not called to persuade people when it comes to gun control. If you want to do that on your own, that's fine. I'm not telling you not to do that. I'm just saying as followers of Jesus, we're called to be examples of the love and grace and mercy of Jesus. Not just to people who are like us, but to people who are outside of the family of God right now and need to find a way to get in. E.T. comes back to life. Remember that? His little chest lights up. And then Elliot goes to this extreme to get him back out to where the spaceship is. So he can go home, right? He's been phoning home the whole time. He wants to go home. When you and I get to heaven, how many people are going to be there that would say, you help me get home? I'm here, I'm home, I'm in heaven because of you, because of the example of Jesus I saw in you, and I wanted that, and I gave my life to Christ because I met you. There's probably a lot of other Christians, if I'd met, I would have run away, but I met you, and, and you helped me get home. You helped me come back to life. You, you helped me experience Jesus because of the way you lived, and the way you talked, and the person that you were. I'm glad I met you first. I'm glad you were the first one I met who told me about Jesus because I believed you because I saw it in you. How, how many of us would say, I'm going to be that person? I'm going to be that one. This is the way Jesus lived. 
So Jesus interacted with the people who disagreed with him, with people who, who, who weren't like him. Jesus interacted with grace and mercy. I'm going to do it because that's the way Jesus did. I'm going to live that out in this world. That's what our world needs. Again, we're so separated. We're so divided. We're so against each other. And Paul said, no. Let your conversation be full of grace. Speak to people the way Jesus would speak to them. Love them the way Jesus would love them. Care about them the way Jesus would care about them. And when you get the opportunity to have those deep conversations, have it. Tell them what Jesus means to you. Tell them what your faith means to you. Tell them what prayer means to you. Help them get home. Help them get home. Let's pray. God, help us to be examples of your grace and your love and your mercy in this world. A world that is so divided. A world that is so intent on defining what separates us. Spending all of our time on our differences. But God, help the followers of Jesus to pursue to step towards, to move into relationships with people who don't see the world the way we see it and to love them, to show grace and mercy, to be the example of Jesus in this world so that more people could get home to heaven. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.